0: Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5, please. John chapter 5 with me. And if you are a guest here with us today, uh, we're working our way through the book of John, and we are still in chapter 5, which we started a couple of weeks ago, and we continue here this morning. And... I look around and I see there's a lot of empty seats. I need to pray one for another. There's several that are sick, um, that are uh, not well. And then we have several that are gone uh, as well, traveling or various things. And I keep praying for Brother Seth as well as he's uh, visiting his family. His mother is about to pass away. He's dealing with all those family things. I got a message from him an update and just continue to pray for him pray for Casey and the family as well as they're visiting her mother who's also uh, sick with cancer and so just remember them okay praying for brother Chris and Christy uh, Chris is still in the hospital and Christy is sick and just a handful they're either gone or sick and not with us today and I know that they would love to be and just remember them okay would you do that All right, John chapter 5, and I want to begin in verse 16. We'll read down through verse uh, 30, and the text continues on through verse 31 and so on, Um, but we'll stop at verse 30 for today. Follow along. The Bible says, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath day. What he's referring to is that Jesus just healed the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda and who had had that infirmity for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there. He asked him if he would be made whole. He told him to take up his bed and rise and walk. And then later, uh, the Pharisees questioned this man, who told you to take up your bed and walk? And the man at first didn't know that it was Jesus, and later on Jesus found him in the temple and made himself known. And then the man went back and told the Pharisees that it was Jesus. Uh, Some like to say that uh, this man, um, you know, basically was telling on Jesus. I don't really think that that was the case. The man had been paralyzed or in that case for 38 years. I I believe he was thankful to the Lord that he healed him. He wasn't uh, turning and telling On the Lord Jesus Christ. That being said, in verse 16, we find, therefore, because of that, did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but committeth all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life." and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they, shall, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which that all, all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. You have probably heard of or read the book or even seen the movie entitled The Case for Christ. I don't know if that's familiar with any of you or not. But that story is a uh, a real life story, it's a true story about a former Chicago Tribune journalist named Lee Strobel. And it tells his life story of how him and his wife were living the American dream, living the life. And one day Their little girl almost died, which got the mother starting to contemplate life and death and eternity and all those things. And it started her on this spiritual journey that led her to eventually uh, being witnessed to by a woman that was in their building uh, complex and eventually going to church with her and hearing the gospel and finally the wife getting saved. That completely changed the dynamic of their relationship. Lee Strobel was a man of the world. He was a, a, a Chicago Tribune journalist. He was a man of, of, of renown and so on. And all of a sudden, he started to see a change in, in, in the life of his wife, and he didn't like it. And he said, "I married. I didn't marry this woman. I married the fun, exciting, whatever, and now she has... Uh, converted to Christ, and she's going to turn into this, you know, religious, Bible-thumping, whatever kind of a person, and it completely upset his life. It caused problems in their relationship for a time, and he was very skeptical, and he was very angry at her uh, for the change in her life, and he was certainly an atheist, but the thing was that he couldn't deny the real change in his wife, and later on, he admitted that, that it was actually pleasantly surprising as time went on. But he still didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in God. He didn't think that God was real. He thought that God was, uh, was, uh, was a made up man's made-up imagination because people are afraid of death. And so we've conjured up this heaven and, and a God and so on because of our fear of death and so on. This was his attitude. And it got to the point where he not only didn't believe that, that God existed or that Jesus was even real, no less God in the flesh. And so what he wanted to do was, because of his journalism background and his investigative skills, what he wanted to do was he wanted to investigate this and he thought that if he could prove that the resurrection never happened that Jesus Christ wasn't really even existed or no less God in the flesh than this house of cards that his wife uh, claimed in Christianity would come crumbling down. And so he set out on this two-year journey of investigative journalism to prove that Jesus Christ and the resurrection never happened. Well, the more that he investigated... The more that he dug, the more evidence he found, the more the evidence mounted, and the more under conviction he became that not only did Jesus Christ exist, but that he actually was truly the Son of God. And the story ultimately ends by him giving his life to Christ. He became a believer in Jesus Christ and believed that Jesus was truly the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And he has this testimony that ultimately he couldn't deny the truth of Jesus' existence, the truth of the Bible, the claims of the Bible concerning who Jesus was, and ultimately he became a believer. And I said all of that to say this, what we have before us in this passage this morning is sort of like a case for Christ, In the beginning of our study in John, we saw and understood that the main theme of the gospel of John was to demonstrate the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ truly is God. That he's not just a moral teacher, he's not just a good man, he's God in the flesh. We saw from the very beginning, the opening words of the book of John, turn back to John chapter 1. And look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We looked at things like the relation of Christ to time. Notice how the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The beginning of what? In the beginning of time meaning that he had to exist before time started. And therefore, he's eternal. He's always existed. We looked at the relation of Christ to the Godhead. Verse 1 says, the Word was with God. Therefore, the Word was one of the Trinity. But then we find that the Word was God himself, Jesus Christ is very God himself. How do we know that? Because we skip down to verse 14, which tells us the Word was made flesh. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Jesus Christ is very God himself. We looked at things like the relation of Jesus Christ to the universe because verse 3 said all things were made by him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. He's the Creator God. And so, we looked at things like this. From the very beginning, the Gospel of John is set out to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand this this morning. The Christian faith rests entirely... And listen, listen, your eternity, rather, I could say this. Your eternity... Rests entirely on the answer to the question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15 Who do men say that I am? Your eternity rests entirely on the answer to that question Who is Jesus Christ? If it's not the right answer, or we hold some some belief concerning Jesus Christ that is contrary to the word of God, a person cannot possibly, cannot possibly be saved and and will never see heaven. Who do men say that I am? Listen, if Jesus is the eternal Son of God in human flesh who died on a cross in the place of sinners, who was raised bodily from the dead, who's coming again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead, then listen, if that is true, then everything else in life, everything else in religion is completely secondary to that truth. There are people who make excuses all the time. Well, I don't don't believe that. Why don't you believe that? Well, because I've got difficulties with the Bible, things that I can't really resolve and and really understand, and and I think that it, it contradicts itself, and I can't really believe that. Listen, that, my friend, is secondary. You may struggle with hard questions, like why do little children die? If God is real and Jesus is real, why do little children suffer and die? My friend, that kind of question is a secondary question. A person may struggle with doubts of, because of personal trials. And God didn't, I prayed to God once and he didn't answer my prayer. That's a personal struggle that is also a secondary thing. And a person's personal struggles do not undermine the truth of the word of God in Christianity. If Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be and who the Bible proclaims Him to be, then listen, my friend, the entirety of the Christian faith absolutely stands. And it matters not just now, it matters in eternity. If He is who He claimed to be, then the Word of God is true. Everything the Word of God says about Him is true. Everything the Word of God says about you is true. If he's not who he claimed to be, then our faith in Christ is completely vain. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, we are of all men most miserable. You've probably heard people maybe like liberal professors or theologians say things like, Jesus never claimed to be God. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they hold Jesus in high esteem. They even claim to believe in Him, but the thing that they don't do is believe the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny His true deity, that He was a created being, and so on. There are many others who think that Jesus was a great moral teacher and an example of His day, but they don't acknowledge and affirm that He is very God that's a cop-out. It's an excuse. I read this quote. It's an often quoted statement by C.S. Lewis who slammed the door on this option that Jesus is a good man and a good moral teacher. He said this. He said a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would actually not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You've got to make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman, or something else, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. That's the truth. He's either God or he's a lunatic. So you've got to decide who is Jesus Christ. And that decision will have huge and monumental effects on your life. If you're saved and you acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord and God, it absolutely is going to have a monumental effect on your life because it's going to, de- it's going to determine how you live in this Christian life. But for the one who is maybe undecided, that answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity. Well, our text in John chapter 5, that was all introductory stuff. I'm going somewhere with that. Okay? Hopefully you absorbed it all. Our text is the first recorded hostility of the Pharisees toward Jesus in John's narrative. Prior to this, it was aimed more towards John the Baptist, but now the the scene has shifted. The focus is on Jesus Christ, and the Pharisees begin to demonstrate hostility towards Jesus himself. And we find in verse 16, the Jews persecuted Jesus. They sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But then verse 17 says, Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, so because of that statement, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They did not like it. And so what happens here in the ensuing verses is this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And really, a case for Christ, and who He is, is being made in these verses. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, there's just two main things that we're going to see. We're going to see claims that Jesus makes concerning His deity. That's what we'll consider today, down through verse 30. But then in verses 31 and following, we're going to find how Jesus gives witnesses that actually verify His claim. So we're going to look at five claims that Jesus makes concerning His deity. And then next time, we're going to look at five witnesses that verify His claims. And that's the direction we're going to go in this case for Christ. That's the title of the message this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd use Your Word to instruct and encourage and challenge, and, Lord, even to convict. Maybe there's someone here today who's not convinced in their mind and their heart of who Jesus Christ actually is. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word and the Spirit of God uh, to bring full clarity and understanding of the truth and that it would be embraced and accepted. And those who are saved, who claim you as Lord and Christ, and no question in their mind as to who you are, Lord, may we rejoice in these claims and these truths again for all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is to us. Help us to worship and exalt Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's consider these five claims of deity by Jesus Christ. We read verses, verse 16. And the context, again, in all of this is that the godless Pharisees are condemning Jesus on two accounts. First of all, they were angry that He was healing on the Sabbath day. He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. But the second thing that they were angry about and persecuted him for was that he was making himself equal with God. And that's what verse 18 tells us, uh, that they sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, Jesus doesn't deny any of that. He definitely healed on the Sabbath, and he's making the claim I am equal with God. He wasn't denying any of it, so he responds back to them with several claims of deity. The first one is found in verse 17, where Jesus says, My Father worketh, hitherto I work. Now, verse 17 is connected back to his healing on the Sabbath day. And he says, Up until this point, my Father has been working and so I also work. He says, God the Father was working even on the Sabbath, but he's working through me. Now, we need to understand this here. Throughout this entire passage, Jesus never refers to God generically. He never refers to God as our Father, like all of us. He specifically refers to him as my Father or the Father. And in doing so, He is claiming a very unique relationship with God that nobody else could ever claim. And notice how he says in verse 17, My Father worketh hitherto. Now, this was a thing because they were mad at him for healing on the Sabbath day. And they would say the Sabbath day is a day of rest because God rested on the seventh day, He rested from His work of creation and so on. And so the Jews held that the Sabbath day was a holy day, a day of rest. No work could be done on the Sabbath day. It was dishonoring to God. And while it's true that God did rest from his creation work on the seventh day, the Sabbath day was made for man. It was not made for God. And God has never rested from his work. God has never rested from his governmental work. He's never rested from his providential work. He's always and continually been at work throughout the centuries in the material world and in the spiritual world. Listen, friend, the sun rises and sets every single day. Who is it that holds that together? The tides ebb and flow, the rains fall, the winds blow, the grass grows every single day of the week, including their Sabbath day. God is continually holding up and sustaining the whole of creation and the daily recurring needs of his creatures. God never rests from these things. Jesus said, my father has worked hitherto. God has worked on the Sabbath day. And he says, if God my Father works on the Sabbath day, it's reasonable and good and just for me to work on the Sabbath day too. Oh, that just got them. The Pharisees hated Jesus Christ for that statement right there. Besides the physical or material world, God has been illuminating the understanding of the hearts of men. Convicting men of their sin, moving the will of men, drawing men to himself. He's always working. And Jesus said, if it's good that the Father ministers to the needs of his creatures on the Sabbath, then it's reasonable and good for the Son of God, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, to engage in work and mercy on the Sabbath day. What Jesus did here is that he unequivocally claimed absolute equality. With God, That's his first claim of deity, that I'm equal with God. Now, verse 18 tells us that they sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Listen, a person can say that they, they, they don't believe that Jesus is God. A person can say, I don't believe that he's equal with God. But a person cannot say that, that, that it's not what Jesus was communicating to these people. It's very clear that Jesus was communicating to them, I am equal with God. And the Pharisees knew it. They got it. They understood it. Later on, Jesus explicitly states, I and my Father are one in John chapter 10. Go over there, please. John chapter 10. In verse 30, Jesus says here, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. They understood exactly what was happening. And the Bible tells us here that Jesus' claim, I and my Father are one, is, is clearly a statement that Jesus is making himself to be God. And as a result, the Jews sought to kill him. And when Jesus said, all of these works that you've seen from the Father that are good works, you can't deny them. For which one of those things are you stoning me? Jesus replies in verse 33, or they replied, it's not because of good works, it's because you're making yourself God. See, they understood his claims. The problem was they didn't accept his claims. That was the problem. Now, let me make this application, because people still do the same thing today. They still deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. They still don't accept his claims. Why? Because they don't want to submit their will to him. That's why the Pharisees didn't accept it. They didn't want to submit their will to him. And there are other religions. People say, well, how do you, how do you, there's so many religions. How do you know which religion is true? Well, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus Christ. I had a conversation once with a Jehovah's Witness in the Safeway parking lot over here. Probably a handful of years ago. They were having some sort of booth or whatever out there in the parking lot at Safeway, and they're handing out all these materials and so on. And I was watching this from a distance, and I just started feeling very agitated inside. And I thought, you know what? i got to say something. And there was one main guy who was kind of the ringleader and i went up to him and i asked him who do you think jesus christ is and he said oh well jesus christ was a prophet jesus christ was a he was a he was a good man jesus christ was a great teacher I said well what about the claim that jesus makes that says i and my father are one that jesus is god in the flesh and oh man that just started this that just started this back and forth all of a sudden other people started congregating around but they were all other jehovah's witnesses i took them over to john chapter 1 and verse 1 that said in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god I took them down to verse 14 the word was made flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory I took him over to John chapter 10 and verse 30, where, where, where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And here was his reply. Here was his answer to this. He said, oh, oh, that, that doesn't mean that Jesus is God. Jesus is simply saying they're one in spirit, but not God. I wish I would have taken him to John chapter 5 and walked through all of these claims of deity that Jesus himself makes. And how the Pharisees themselves knew that he was claiming to be God. How come you can't see that? And I said all that to say this. This becomes so critical. This idea of who Jesus Christ is and the acceptance and belief that he is God in the flesh is so critical For a person to ever be saved, for a person to ever have their sins forgiven, for a person to ever see heaven. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now, already, it is in the world. My friend, those who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Anointed of God, God in human flesh, those who deny that is the spirit of Antichrist. And one cannot be saved. One cannot be saved if they deny this truth concerning Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch? Let's go over there to Acts chapter 8. Religions that say they believe in Jesus, but they don't admit and acknowledge that He is God in the flesh, Those religions are of the devil. They're the spirit of Antichrist, according to the word of God. In Acts chapter 8, we find the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. How he was in Jerusalem for to worship God. He was seeking after God. He left and he was returning back. He was reading in the book of Isaiah. And Philip, being led of the spirit of God, went out into the wilderness. And the spirit of God said, join yourself to this chariot. And he asked the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he wanted Philip to come into his chariot and explain to him the scriptures. And so Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's where we pick it up in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said... If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, note this, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was his confession of faith. And then he went down into the water and he was baptized. And I'm I'm telling you this for this particular reason. A person who does not acknowledge and believe that Jesus Christ is God cannot possibly be saved. The verification of it was he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus makes himself equal with God. That's the first claim. Go back to our text in John chapter 5, please. And I'll try to move a little faster through the rest of these. The second claim is that Jesus says, I'm the giver of life. Notice this in verse 21. Jesus says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, that word quickeneth means to make alive. So He makes alive these people. Even so, the Son quickeneth or makes alive whom He will. Look at verse 26. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. Jesus makes this claim that I and the giver of life. Only God is the giver of life. And Jesus is making himself equal with God, and he says here in verse 21, The Father raiseth up the dead, and maketh them alive, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Jesus claims to have the same power that the Father has over over death and over the dead. Now, Jesus raised the dead three times. That's at least recorded three times in the scriptures. In Luke chapter 7 was the widow's son. In Luke chapter 8 was Jairus' daughter. He raised her from the dead. And later on in John chapter 11, the Pharisees will be witness to this, but he raises Lazarus from the dead. He has power over physical life. He is the giver of life and he makes the claim that he's the giver of life to the pharisees they knew exactly what that meant because only god is able to give life but not only physical life but he has the power and is the giver of spiritual life, and spiritual life is the real thing. Look at verse 24, because Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Those words, verily, verily, it means truly, truly. And it's like a herald. Someone who says, hear ye, hear ye. You've got to understand this. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He is the giver of spiritual life as well. And the Pharisees would not believe that he was able to forgive sins and give spiritual life. Go with me back to Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, we find a miracle that Jesus performs, but it stretches out and goes farther than that. I want you to draw your attention here to this. Let's start reading in verse one in Mark chapter two verse one, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive him, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So he's carried by four people. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, for all the people that were there, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. The question that Jesus asked these guys, is it easier to to say to you, "Thy Thy sins be forgiven thee, or is it easier to say, Take up thy bed and walk? Which one? Well, they couldn't do either. Only God could do both of those things. And he says, I'm doing this so that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He's the giver of spiritual life. And here's the application, friend. You will never ever see heaven apart from the Son of God. Acts 4:12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Allah cannot save, Buddha cannot save, and any other, Joseph Smith cannot save, no one can, you cannot save yourself. A person will never see heaven apart from the Son of God. Jesus says that there are two things that are required, though. You have to have a hearing ear, and you have to have a believing heart. Because he said in verse 24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. you got to believe the truth that only Jesus Christ is the giver of life. He's the only one who can forgive sins. He's the only way a person will ever see heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You might be here this morning. You're on the fence. You believe in God. You've heard of Jesus, but never given much thought as to who exactly Jesus is he's God. Jesus claimed to be God, and he's the only way a person will ever see heaven. There's no room to be riding the fence. For the sake of time, let's move on. Jesus made that second claim that I'm the giver of life. The third claim that he makes is that I'm the final judge. Look at verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Jesus says, I'm the final judge. He says that the Father has committed all judgment unto the Son. And I'm saying this, and I'll try, to par- I'll try to make this brief. Today, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. But friend, tomorrow, He's going to be the judge of the living and the dead. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 with me. And what I'm saying by this is that at some point, everyone's going to leave this physical life, and everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody's going to give an account but they're going to stand before the judge of all the earth, the judge of the living and the dead. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 4, in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly... That's not right. Go to 2 Timothy. I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The word of God makes it clear that Jesus Christ is going to judge those who are alive and those who are dead. Philippians 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether someone believes it now or not, actually, it it matters for them in eternity, but at some point, they're going to bow their knee before Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord, as the judge of all. There are people who claim to worship and honor God, but they ignore the claims of Jesus Christ in their life. You're not worshiping and honoring God then. You're only deceiving yourself. You can't ignore the claims of Jesus Christ and still honor God. Jesus said in our text, those that don't honor the Son... Don't honor the Father either. Revelation chapter 5, in verse 13, tells us that every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. All things in heaven and in earth, under the sea, in the sea, all things will say blessing and honor and glory unto the one that sits on the throne, the Lamb. He's the judge of all. And someday, friend, every single one of us is going to stand before him and give an account. Not only does Jesus claim to be the judge, but he says, I'm the only way out for all who stand guilty before God. I'm the way. It's much better to bow the knee before the judge of all now And confess him as Lord, and to spend eternity with him as his child, than to one day be forced to bow the knee and to confess him as Lord, and to be cast into everlasting fire. Jesus says, I'm the final judge. His fourth claim is in verse 25. If you go back to our text, he says, I'm going to raise the dead. In verse 25, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Here's another dramatic, hear ye, hear ye, announcement. And Jesus says, Here, in these verses, he gives us some of the Bible's clearest information regarding the resurrection. He says in verse 25, the hour is coming when the dead are going to hear his voice. He says he has life in himself. He has authority to execute judgment. In verse 28, he says all that are in the graves are going to hear his voice and come forth. He gives us some real clear information regarding the resurrection. First of all, there is definitely going to be life after death. He says all that are in the graves are going to hear his voice and they're going to come forth. There is definitely going to be life after death. A lot of people say we just live, we exist, then we die, and then there's nothing. Oh no, friend, you're an eternal soul. You're going to live somewhere forever. There's definitely life after death. The second thing is that every single person is going to be affected by it. Jesus said all that are in the graves are going to hear His voice. Everyone's going to come forth. But then the third thing is this, that mankind is going to fall, all of mankind is going to fall into one of two categories. In verse 29, those that have done good under the resurrection of life and those that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. When he says those that have done good, he's not talking about works for salvation. He's talking about those who've been obedient to the gospel, those who've acknowledged Jesus Christ is Lord, who are saved. Those that have done evil are those who've rejected Jesus Christ as God. And the only escape route from judgment and condemnation and spiritual death on that last day is faith in Jesus Christ. The fifth claim is in verse 30. He says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Here, Jesus' claim is that he's always doing the will of God. There's never a time when he's not doing the will of God. Basically, as a shadow doesn't move of its own initiative, so Jesus moves only in cadence with the Father's footsteps. Now, some like to use this verse and say, see, see, Jesus isn't the same as God, because he even said, I can of mine own self do nothing. They use this as some sort of a claim of weakness or inferiority to God. God. But this is not a show of weakness or inferiority, as some try to claim. It's not a statement of limitation to Jesus Christ. Rather, it's his absolute unity with the Father in nature and in will. Why? Because he is God. He's saying it's impossible for the Son to act independently of the Father because they share the same nature. What the Father does, the Son does. What the Son does, the Father does. There's a complete correspondence in their actions at all times. In Jesus, we see God. When Jesus worked, it was God working. Whatever Jesus did was an act of God. Whatever he said was the word of God. There was no moment in his life and no action of which he did not express the life and action of the Father. We could read in Hebrews chapter 1 that in the past days God has spoken to us by the prophets, but now in these days He's spoken unto us by His Son, who is the express image of His person. Verse 30, the end of verse 30 makes it very clear as to what Jesus is saying. He says, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So as we see that whatever the Son does, God does. Whatever God says, Jesus says. We see all of those things. And yet at the same time, this verse reveals that as the Son of God, Jesus is subordinate to the Father in terms of carrying out the divine will of God. The Father commands, the Son obeys. Jesus was sent to this earth by the Father, according to verse 23. He was sent to accomplish the work that the Father gave Him to do. Jesus said it back in John 4. I have meat that ye know not of. He says, I'm, I, I came to do the will of my Father. That, wo- that work was the redemption of mankind on the cross. What I'm simply saying here is that Jesus Christ said, I'm always in the center of the will of God. I'm always doing the will of the Father. And the application is this, friend, and it's more so for those of us who are saved. Lord, help me to be more like Jesus Christ, more surrendered, more submissive to your will every day. None of us can say that we're always in the will of God, like Jesus said. But we can say, Lord, help me be more like you. So let me just wrap it up here for the sake of time. I've taken more than I wanted to. But let me ask you this question. Have Jesus Christ's radical claims here made any radical change in your life? There are polls that have been done that have shown that a majority of Americans believe that Jesus is God. But that belief has not changed the face of America. It's a belief in name only. A true heart belief will change your life. It's not enough to just say, I believe that Jesus is God intellectually. You've got to trust in Him as your Savior. You have to have Him as Lord of your life. And that is going to be evidenced, if He really is, that's going to be evidenced by your submission to Him as Lord of all of your life. Jesus said in John 5 and verse 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son... Honoreth not the Father which hath sent me. Jesus said, if, you're, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not, not trying to manipulate people, but simply saying the proof of your love is that you will obey and keep my commandments. If you really love me like you say, it'll show in how you live. Is he Lord of your life? Who do you say Jesus is? What you do with Jesus will determine where you spend eternity. Now look at verse 31 and I'll finish with this. Verse 31, Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He's not saying that what he's saying isn't true. But what he is saying is if I'm just saying a whole bunch of words, people aren't going to necessarily believe it. So then, in verse 32, he says, there's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that that witness which he witnesseth of me is true. What we're going to talk about next time is these five witnesses that Jesus brings up that verify all the claims that he just made concerning his deity. And we'll explore those and examine those next time and how they apply To us as well. Let the Word of God work in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd use your Word, number one, for those who are saved, cause us to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, that He is God, that He's the judge, He's the giver of life, and those that hear His Word and believe on Him have everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but have everlasting life. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, for those who are saved, may we rejoice in God our Savior. Father, I do pray this morning for those who have never been saved, who have never repented of their sin, put their full faith in Jesus Christ for their eternity. Lord, I pray that You draw them to Jesus Christ today as we have sought to exalt Him here. And I pray, Lord, that You'd accomplish Your will. In Jesus' name, amen.